Hello and thank you for joining us for episode 12, where we're going to be kicking off the book of Daniel, Living a Life of Integrity, and this will be our first week looking at this material. This is going to be an eight-week sermon series exploring the key themes in Daniel, the sovereignty of God, the importance of faithfulness in the world, and God's redemptive plan for His people. By focusing primarily on the life of Daniel, we gain a powerful picture of a faithful person and his challenges living in a hostile culture. So if you will, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to be reading out of the voice translation. Again, that's Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to be also giving a little bit of commentary between these verses because a lot of these are really foreign to us and there's a whole lot going on here in the scripture. Verse 1. Now it happened during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign over Judah. The armies of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon marched against him and laid siege to Jerusalem, Judah's capital. The Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar the victory and allowed him to take King Jehoiakim of Judah as his prisoner. At the same time, he permitted the Babylonian king to rob God's temple of some of its sacred vessels and carry them away to Babylonia, which was the land between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, to fill the treasury of his own gods, Marduk and Nebo. After the king returned home, he commanded Ashpenaz, chief of the royal eunuchs, to bring some of the Israelites who had been taken captive to the palace. These included members of Judah's royal family and of nobility. Verse 4. He was looking for potential candidates from the exiles to serve in his court, fit young men with no physical or moral infirmity, handsome, skilled in all wisdom, knowledgeable, discerning, and understanding. Those selected would be taught the language and literature of the Chaldeans, the people who lived in Babylonia. As part of their assimilation into Babylonian court life, the king offered them a daily portion of food and wine from his own table. They were to be educated for three years before serving in the king's court. Verse 6. From among Judah's exiles, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were selected. Ashpenaz, chief of the royal eunuchs, gave them Babylonian names to signify their new identity and a foreign place. These names were the following. Daniel was renamed to Belteshazzar. Hananiah was named Shadrach. Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar seizes, always in his stories, he seizes the wisest, the strongest, and the most powerful people in each land, and he conquers and deports them all to Babylonia. This actually serves three purposes that we see in verses 1 through 7. It gives his government an unending supply of capable people. It further cripples the conquered nation, rendering them totally helpless. And lastly, it ensures the conquered nation will not want to retaliate because their own loved ones are serving in the conquered land. Daniel and his friends are among these deportees that we see in this story. When they arrive in Babylonia, they are expected and forced to assimilate to the Babylonian way of life. And this includes everything from changing their wardrobe to uh, changing the way they talk and even their language. And lastly, even changing their very name. Nebuchadnezzar renames the deportees to complete their total conversion to the Babylonian society and to to demonstrate his status as their master. And then we come to verse 8. 
Although the king ate only the finest Babylonian fare, Daniel was determined not to violate God's law and defile himself by eating the food and drinking the wine that came from the king's table. So he asked the chief of the royal eunuchs for permission not to eat the food. Because you see that Daniel's concern here is that the food has been offered up to two gods. These foods have been offered up to Marduk and also to Nebo, and they don't meet the basic Israelite dietary laws. Now let's go ahead and move on to verse 9 and 10. Now God had given Daniel special favor and fondness in the eyes of the king's chief eunuch, and still the eunuch was very concerned. And obviously, because usually when we see Nebuchadnezzar in any of these stories, he's a hothead usually looking to murder somebody. So we do see at least that the eunuch is concerned for good reason. Ashpenaz says actually to Daniel, Belteshazzar, your request puts me in a difficult position. I am afraid of what my lord Nebuchadnezzar might do to me. He has ordered that you are to eat the food and drink the wine prepared, and he's not given any other option. What will happen if he sees you and your friends over time in poorer health than the other young men that are your age? I'm certain he will have my head on a platter, is probably what he thought. But when Ashpenaz refused, Daniel reasoned with the guard with whom was chief over the royal eunuchs assigned to watch over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And we see in verse 12, this incredible thing happens. Daniel says to the guard, Please do us a favor. Put us your servants to the test for ten days. Give us a vegetarian diet of water. When the time is up, you can see for yourself one condition and compare it to the condition of the other men who are eating at the king's table. Then, after you have seen what has happened, do whatever you think is best for us, your servants. This is pretty incredible because we see that Daniel's companions asked for a total diet consistent with God's instruction to his covenant people. Things like vegetables and grains, uh, without the rich cuts of meat that are normally a staple at the king's table. They also want to exclude any wines or, or meat or anything else that might have been uh, forced them into kind of some entanglement uh, with Babylonian culture. Because most of those meats and wines have been offered up to Babylonian gods, and Daniel wants no part of that. Daniel and his exiled friends may have to live in Babylon, but they don't have to be absorbed into the culture. And that's central and paramount in this story. That every bite they eat of the covenant kosher dietary law reminds them that they are to be different in a world that's not theirs. That's huge, huge for us today. So let's move on down to verse 14. So the guard agreed to do as Daniel requested. He tested them on a diet of only vegetables, grains, and water for ten days. Verse 15. When the ten days were up, he looked them over and noticed that Daniel and his friends were better off than all the other young men eating from the king's best foods. They looked healthy and they looked well nourished. So the guard continued to hold back the royal rations and replace them with a strictly vegetarian diet. Through all of this, God conferred upon these four young men superior abilities in literature, in language, and in wisdom. God had given Daniel the additional gift to the ability to interpret visions and dreams. Verse 18, When the three-year period of training and conditioning was set by the king had finished, the king sent for the candidates, the chief of the royal eunuchs, and all were escorted to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed all of them and found that none of the candidates were better than Daniel 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they were each assigned an important place in the king's court. When the king inquired further into the grasp of wisdom and understanding, he discovered that they were better prepared than all of the magicians and enchanters in his empire, even ten times better. And this is how Daniel came to serve in the royal court, a position he safely held until the first year of King Cyrus when his Persian army conquered Babylonia. This is just an incredible story that we see where Daniel draws a line in the sand and says, this is where we're going to be. It's interesting that Daniel's name literally means God is my judge. Topics in this scripture include things like God's sovereignty, that he's always in control even when it feels like he's not. Or maybe better yet, when we feel like it's not. We see things like culture play out here and, and how difficult it is to actually go against the stream of culture when everybody's telling us one thing and calling us to do another thing, but yet God is calling us to do something very different. And lastly, we see in this story unshakable faith of Daniel and his three friends that nothing was going to shake or violate this faith even though they were serving and having to be forced to assimilate in a foreign land. And so the big idea, I believe, of this scripture that we see in Daniel chapter 1 is that God is sovereign over all of our lives and He honors our attempts at faithfulness in the things that He asks us to do. So I think the question to ask ourselves is how can we live as faithful witnesses in a hostile culture by doing good work that contributes to humans flourishing under God's commands? Before we move on into maybe some uh, some different thinking uh, and kind of breaking apart these scriptures verse by verse, I wanted to talk a little bit about Marduk and Nebo as they're mentioned in the scripture, that all of the, the meats and the grains and all of the things that Nebuchadnezzar and his court would have eaten would have been sacrificed to these Babylonian deities. We at least know that the story of Marduk is he's the epitome and the polar opposite of God. We see that in the Christian creation story that God is this craftsman. He's creative. He's intelligent. And he puts all these things together over the course of, of six days and he loves what he does, and he says it is very good, and then he enjoys it. And then he creates Adam, and then gives him the opportunity to create and to subdue creation. And he even gives him a helpmate to do so. And so God is in the business of being creative and looking at how great life is and enjoying it. Unfortunately, Marduk is the opposite of that. We see that he also, in the Babylonian story, created the world in six days. But on his Sabbath day, he forces humans to serve him, that he's lazy, and he needs people to do his bidding. And I think that the comparison between these two gods, between, between Yahweh and between Marduk, is huge. Because I believe that Daniel's story echoes that we become just like the God that we serve. The Babylonians were obsessed with conquering other nations and ruling people through subversion and just absolutely exploiting people. We see at least in God's story that he wants to partner with mankind. He wants to give himself to us so that we can in turn serve others. And that's interesting to me that the Babylonians mirrored Marduk and Christians should mirror 
Yahweh. So we become like the God that we worship. It also mentions another name in the story, that Marduk had a son named Nebo, and they also worshipped him as well. Interesting thing is, if you know anything about Babylonian mysticism and religion, Marduk and Nebo could never get along. They constantly were warring with one another, fighting one another. And I don't know about you, but I really wouldn't want to serve a god that couldn't get along even with his family, let alone his creation. That doesn't, doesn't sound like a good plan. But we see, at least in the Trinity, that all three are self-giving. They're all wanting to actually give of themselves to the other and edify the other. So my question today is, maybe before we even really dig into this, is what, what god are you serving because you'll act just like it? And I think that that's, that's a huge question for us to ask as we, we dig into Daniel. That before we get to dietary laws, before we get to anything else, we become like the God we serve. So what God are you serving today? The book of Daniel is incredible because it has both a historical account of Daniel's life, and it also has tons of prophecy. And these are repeated all through the book. The themes include that God is sovereign over rulers, kingdoms, and literally every event that's ever existed even when all seems lost. In the first introduction we have to Daniel, we learn a lot about his character and also about his friends. Rather than merely keeping up some random dietary restriction, they are there for several reasons. And there's also several reasons that they won't take the food. By Eastern standards, to share a meal was to commit oneself to friendship. It was of covenant significance. That's one reason they couldn't take the meal. Another reason is that the meat and wine had most certainly been offered to idols, whereas vegetables probably were not. The significance here is that not just that Daniel was willing to face consequences for his faith, but that he recognized that accepting certain aspects of this newfound surrounding culture would be detrimental to his attempt to remain faithful to God. And this has huge implications for us. I think that makes us ask the question, what do we take in from surrounding culture that is detrimental for us? And so I want you right now at this time just to maybe break out a sheet of paper or, or break out a notes app and just name some things that are good for you. These can maybe include some cultural things, like maybe what's one great thing? Netflix might be a good thing. It allows me to unplug, right? But then I also want you on the opposite side of the coin, I want you to list some bad things as well. While Netflix can help you unplug and maybe give you entertainment, well, it can also, if I binge too much, it probably is going to take time away from something else that's probably really important. Um, I think that coming into it with new eyes into culture is huge because Daniel knew where he stood within a culture that wasn't his. And this wasn't just, it's culture different. It was a culture that literally was offensive. If you remember when the Israelites were taken into exile, the temple was destroyed, their families were murdered, they were forced into slavery, they even had their names taken from them. As you know, Daniel is an incredible name, meaning God is my judge, and he was given the name Belteshazzar, had to wear different clothing, and just literally, they're ripping you out of yourself. They're ripping every bit of Israelite that is in you and forcing you to become Babylonian. 
And I think that you can look at our culture today and think, maybe what areas in our culture elevate gospel truth? But also, what are those things in our culture that don't elevate gospel truth? What are those things that maybe are against gospel truth? This particular decision might seem trivial, but Daniel recognizes that the invitation to come and learn and eat in the king's service would come with some unique temptations, as they all do, right? The defilement he feared was not so much a ritual as a moral defilement, but it arised from the subtle flattery of gifts and favors, which maybe had hidden implications of loyal support, however dubious the king's future policies might actually prove to be. There's an important lesson for us here. Our surrounding cultures will always fight for our loyalty. Even if we aren't in the king's service, our country, our business, uh, even our political party will fight to have our loyalty. Daniel recognized that participating in some aspects of this world simply ask too much from him. And so I think that brings up the question, what asks too much from us today? The point of Daniel is trying to show that our country, its leaders, its political parties, its military, while those might be great things, they won't save us. They just, they never will. They're not designed to do that. So what can save us from ourselves? And Daniel answers that too. He says, well, only God can do that that none of those other things are going to save you. And it's very interesting whenever you look at the nation of Israel. Right before they were forced into exile, we see this incredible picture of Israel just totally blowing it. Their kings aren't getting it. They're serving all these false idols of wood and stone and these things that aren't alive. And then God removes them from their home and takes them into Babylon. It's so interesting that even when you look at the land of Israel, anytime they were being faithful to God, their land mass grew. Anytime they were disobedient to God, their land mass shrunk considerably. And it's almost as if God is saying, I want you to be mine. You're my people. Don't trust in your military. Don't trust in your political power. Don't trust and the temple rituals. Don't trust in how holy you think you are. Trust in me. And we see this in Daniel too. Daniel reminds us that if we look anywhere else, it's a dead end. That only God can save us. Our study into Daniel's life also gives us a very tangible example of what it looks like for believers to work faithfully in a sometimes hostile culture. Mike Cosper interviews Christians working in various fields on his podcast, Cultivated. If you haven't checked that out, I would recommend you go check out the podcast, Cultivated. But he has interviewed musicians, football players, record producers, judges, novelists, actresses, and many others. And these interviews primarily focus on the different ways Christians approach their work and live out their faith in the midst of industries and cultures that don't always value the same things that they value. Mike Cosper explains that one of his findings is that if you are genuinely contributing to the flourishing of a city and of a community, it's really hard for people to push you out. So do good work and work really hard and value your city, but also be aware of what time it is and be concerned. And Whenever it comes time, 
lift your voice up and be heard. It's an incredible reminder for us today, so go check out Cultivated when you have a moment. But when Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah all come out of their 10-day trial period looking healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food, they were reminded that God is sovereign over all things, even the things that they eat, including every provision for his people. So while the rest of the book may deal with sovereignty of larger things, things way bigger than food and physical strength, we can begin their story of life in a hostile culture with the reminder that God is sovereign also over our lives today, and nothing has changed in that story, that God is still sovereign over our future, of our present, over our families, over our relationships, over our work, over our children as they attend school. He's sovereign over it all. So I just have three questions really to ask today uh, as we kind of end our time here uh, in week one of our Daniel series. Question one is, what temptations do we face to pledge our loyalty to that are bigger than God? And these could be things like uh, a political party or a government, or maybe I live my life through my kids I'm not really living my life for God. Or maybe it's that um, I'm making something way too important whenever that's not its place. These could even be good things. But what are we pledging our loyalty to that are bigger than God? Question two is, how can we work faithfully in a culture that doesn't always align to our values? And what would it look like for us to live the gospel truths out in that? And the last question is, what is one specific thing you struggle to believe God is sovereign over? You know, that last question can be really hard, can it? That maybe I trust God with my kids and my family, but maybe I don't trust Him with my finances. Or maybe I, I really trust God in my relationships, except for that one person, right? So I think we all have something that we, we need to wrestle and investigate here. It's what is that one specific thing that you struggle to believe God is sovereign over. I hope that you've enjoyed our week one uh, podcast over uh, Daniel. And join us next week as we uh, kick off week two, as we are going to look at what happens whenever Daniel and his friends are faithful yet again in Nebuchadnezzar's court. And some more bad things happen, as typically tend to be because Nebuchadnezzar is a hothead and Daniel and his friends always stick their ground because they know God is sovereign and he has great things in store for them living in a very distant and scary world. So may God bless you today, and thank you for joining us.